I am back. I'm healthy. I didn't drink any milk this morning. So that means Browning and Lawhead is underway. John Brown and Jason Lawhead here on the Mightier 1090 ESPN via the YouTube, via the iTunes podcast store. I had to uh, pull the ripcord on multiple shows yesterday because I drank some bad milk. That's all I can chalk it up to. Shout out to Cinnamon Toast Crunch. And uh, I'm back. That's it. That's all I can say. That's it. That's uh, that's what you call early. Welcome early to early stages of uh, getting old hood. Yeah, man. I You're didn't not know old this. yet. These I... are the early stages. Getting just sick on sour milk because you don't have that strong stomach anymore like you used to. Like, oh, I got to go lay down. I, I, I was weak yesterday, man. I had no idea that this happened when you got old. You can't even oh, yeah, drink, things like that. drink just... milk. Yeah, sometimes tomorrow you, you won't be able to just walk on your ankle for some reason. <laughs> That's how I mean, you're not going to know why. You're not going to be like, I didn't do anything to my ankle. I've been sitting in here uh, just doing radio and hanging out. I haven't done it. Yeah, but for you some reason, what? there's a splitting pain. You know what? You know what is starting to happen to me? And I I, I attempt to annoy it, every, uh, ignore it every time it happens. I get these like little, like these small back tweaks. I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm talking about bending over to pick up a cup of water or picking up a pillow. And it's just the right angle. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, my God. Oh, yeah. oh. And it only oh, yeah. lasts for like 10 seconds. It's just a reminder. Hey, bro, we back here. And we want you to know we can go out at any time. Yeah, it's like you took gunfire. You're like, did somebody just hit me with buckshot? Uh, what happened oh. in the lower back just now? I've had a couple somebody of somebody deer hunting behind me. What happened, bro? I've had a couple of them. I had to look behind me when who hit oh, me? I know. I'm like, what? Wait, am I in the line of fire? How did that? Oh yeah. So welcome to that man. Oh, that's that. That those are jokes. Um, uh, on the show today, can the Warriors close out the Celtics? How much is a phony worth? And we're going to talk about January 6th, the, the commission, not the actual day. We're going to talk about the commission, the panel that's happening, the January 6th commission. We're finally going to get to it. It'll be at the end of the show. So you, if you want to bow out at that point, I'll save it for the very end. But before I do any of that, I want to talk about stupidity. And I know some of you are like, oh, yeah, to talk about the panel is stupid. No, stupid. A different kind of stupid. Tyreek Hill got paid by the Miami Dolphins via a trade from the Kansas City Chiefs. Tyreek Hill is a very good wide receiver. He's not known for route running. He's not known for catching balls, by the way. He's known for being very, very fast. He's being known for get it to him and he can make things happen. Tyreek Hill may have sold something that he doesn't have he on his podcast because everybody's got one you know they're like anuses at this point said that Tua Tua Tungavailoa quarterback for the Miami Dolphins is more accurate I'm gonna repeat that more accurate than Patrick Mahomes and I wrote something down when I saw that in practice is the word I wrote down. In practice, he's more accurate. In theory, he's more accurate. In actual application, he won't be. Tyreek Hill, 
there's a reason why the Miami Dolphins have gone out of their way to give Tua every weapon possible for him to be successful because he can't do it on his own. I think what Tariq Hill is going to find out is that stupidity can sometimes overrun your skill. And so when you go deep and the ball doesn't get there because he's more accurate than his arm is strong, the idea that you left Patrick Mahomes for a little bit more money and now you're talking about the Kansas City Chiefs organization as if you were the reason they were successful, oh, buddy. Oh, buddy. Oh, I can't, I can't, I can't. Sometimes you wait for the season to start, and then sometimes you can't wait for the season to start because of certain people and certain things. I cannot wait for the NFL season to start to watch Tyreek Hill's miserable reactions to when Tua just can't get him the ball. Well, I've always said, I've always said, and this is just kind of another example. Tyreek Hill is just another example. This comment and this whole, you know, presenting it this way. It's just another example of pound for pound. If you take all of the sports and all the, at least the ones we kind of pay attention to, I'll say that because I haven't really like thought of it outside of the more, you know, basketball, football, baseball, even hockey, anything that you could kind of think of. There's no worse player, meaning the person, meaning a person, meaning the individual collectively. If you wanted to totally fit the stereotype of, of all the worst guys, everybody in just general, wide receivers are the worst people of all positions in the history of sport. There is, if you took all just offensive linemen and right guards in one and just had them at a, at a nice area where they were able to get together and have a cocktail hour and maybe meet their wife. Great. Hey, shooting guards in the NBA. If you just collectively took them, yeah, there's going to be a couple of a-holes in the pile here and there, but I'm telling you that get, get me, wrangle me up all the wide receivers. Those people, they're just, a, a special, different kind of just arrogant, stupid, always just, it's amazing how it's always just the wide receivers saying and doing the dumbest stuff. Do you, do you not see that as well? Antonio Brown. I mean, it always just seems like Odell Beckham in, Jr. In, had since his period. the passing era, since these guys have started putting up these Jerry Rice-like numbers because it's the era they play in, right? They all think they're Jerry Rice because he stood out just ridiculously in the era that he played in with the way he was able to just stack stats. And, you know, I mean, uh, be well, they there was some there was a stat the other day. Only two people have ever or three people have ever caught a touchdown pass in their forties, and it's Jerry Rice, Brett Favre, and Tom Brady. Only because they were over forty long enough to catch one out of the backfield. <laughs> Look, man, I don't, I don't know what uh, Tyreek Hill's motivation is for this. Because it's just stupid to even comment on. It is, <laughs> isn't it? Isn't it? Uh, even uh, if you were to say, like, hey, in practice, it's just dumb. I, the fact that he even said it, that all the things he accomplished with Patrick Mahomes, I don't care how it ended. I, that's dumb to come in there and open that whole thing up before Tua and you have even played a real football game together. Bro, get a preseason route under your belt first. 
Get a preseason route under your belt. Because Andy Reid's not walking through that door with the playbook, all of the movement that makes you successful. Everything that makes Tyreek successful, like you said, we're never going to call Tyreek Hill one of the greatest hands receivers ever. Or route runners. not even close. Or route runners. Or teammates. (laughs) But what made him successful and what makes him as dangerous of a weapon if you can get your hands on him in the right scenario is that Andy Reid and the and the greatness of Patrick Mahomes who he's uh, this has been why we're talking about it is he uttering this nonsense is the the movement and the motion and the ability that they have to do their jobs is why he's so successful exactly. and hey great to him if him and Tua figure it out and these guys are the next Mahomes and and, and Hill Great, but guess what? That's what he just told us they're going to be, so I expect them to be it. I expect the game six of the NBA Finals to be the last one. Will it be? Hell, I don't know. We had a, again, I was sick yesterday, so we didn't get a chance to talk about Monday night's game. Mm -hmm. Game five was, game five felt like the game where everything settled in. Game five felt like there are going to be no more surprises and this is what you're going to see. Because I think in, in any boxing match, in any any competition, at some point you see one team kind of go, all right, we felt all their punches. We know what they can do. We've seen all their moves. We know what they can go to. We know what they're going to on defense. We know what they're going to on offense. This is how we're going to combat that. I think the Warriors have a feel for the punches that the Celtics can throw. Now, what Ime Udoka comes out with next is going to be key because I think he does have something up his sleeve. But Andrew Wiggins had to be the fourth person on their scouting report, maybe, behind Klay Thompson, who, by the way, is still struggling, but you can't leave him open. Draymond Green, who, I mean, I don't even know if you can really scout for missed free throws and 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 inability to shoot jump shots, but... He he's up on the scouting report. If Andrew Wiggins, I mean, obviously Steph Curry is the first one. If Andrew Wiggins is number four in your scouting report, this is what it looks like. He is he's killing them. He is absolutely wow. killing the Boston Celtics. Get it? Whether it be the rebounding from Game Four and Five, the the timely scoring, poor three point shooting, but timely baskets in Game Three and Four. I didn't think that I didn't think any team in this series could win two games in a row. The Warriors just did it. And now I don't I I'm not in the boat of saying, oh, the Celtics, now it's over. The Celtics can't beat them, but I would I can't wait to see what Ime Udoka does in response at home where the Celtics don't play well. Yeah, I mean, here, here, this is interesting, right? Like Wiggins playing just like we've talked about it. I just think he's been playing just steady, solid floor games, even when his numbers aren't big. And maybe he has struggled from the field on a night in the playoffs. He's just always out there playing that game. He's always dialed into the same kind of, you know, number wherever he is, is, you know, even if he's going to be, you know, rough from the field that night or pick pick up an early couple fouls or something, he'll play to that dial. And and he just seemed to do that. And now these last two games, you know what, you know, what Andrew Wiggins did in game five. And this is, you know, we've got Steph over here already, right? In the first four games being legendary Steph. 
And what Andrew Wiggins goes and does in game five is Andrew Wiggins plays the game that Jason Tatum hasn't even played yet in this series. And, and you know, it, it, so you get four games out of Steph and then you got this rising star Wiggins contributing to all these other things he's stuffing in the stat sheet at a just not eye-popping number, but a consistent, yeah, for locking down. And the game changed here is when, if you remember watching it, it was 79-74 early after the start of the fourth quarter, Poole hit that shot to pull Golden State back up one, but Boston had the momentum from that, they, they from that, did. from yes. that. They, they, Boston quarter. had the momentum and they were just felt like after that eighth, eight, a third quarter of eight, three, they had, they, you know, they had them, but Golden State came out and Wiggins picked up Tatum in the first couple of early possessions and he shut him down. And then Tatum went, it was 79, 74 and Tatum <laughs> took him hard to the hole. Wiggins played him beautifully on the ball retreating. He forced Tatum into a traveling call on the baseline. They went right down and popped Clay open on the wing for a three. And all of a sudden it was 82-74. And that was the knockout punch. The game just shipped. Wiggins, like I said, gave the game Tatum hasn't given the Celtics yet. And then not only did he give him that whole game, he went out and buried him in the fourth quarter. He made those couple of plays on Tatum defensively. And then the steamroll hit. And before you knew it, Boston was down 13, 14, 15 again in the, in the fourth. And it was like, you know, they played maybe at a nice, really looked good for eight minute stretch, kind of like they played that whole fourth quarter. But I, I, I've, I've always said this, and this has been a series of swings, so it's hard to say, right? After game three, I thought, man, Boston's just deeper, stronger, quicker, better. I just don't see. And then, but for Golden State, I've said it all series long, even when they were down 2 1. Their numbers are great where they're scoring numbers, right? They've never been under 100 in this series. Boston's been under 100 three times. The only two mm. games Boston won were those wild games they went nuts in. And, and they almost blew the top open here in game five with that run. Yes. But give the Warriors credit. They kind of just, you know, hit it. Pool hits that big shot. They come out and flex early in the fourth quarter and make big stops. And, uh, you know, I mean, the Celtics go to the line 31 times in that game. The Celtics make more free throws than Golden State attempts in that game. Uh, you know, and, and so from you – know, but they turn the ball over a bunch. They missed, you know, uh, 10 free throws, 23s, 21 threes. And uh, with a game like you looked at over nine from Steph, I mean, come on. Are you going to win that game in a game five? But, man. That's impressive. So I've got to like Golden State going into this game six tonight, um, just uh, based off of these trends here. But who knows? It's crazy. This series, uh, Boston, you know, who knows what if they come out and, and, you know, can play that kind of, you know, spurt basketball for longer. I don't know what we're – and this goes back into the pot of, I don't know what I'm going to see from the Celtics. And – by that token, because we've had struggles from Draymond Green, who kind of sets the tone for the Warriors, and we've had struggles from Klay Thompson, who's usually the backup, I don't know what we're going to see from the Warriors. Will I think Steph go 0 for 9 again? Absolutely not. No. But I also... I'd be afraid that he goes off. Right. I will, And I also <laughs> would caution the Celtics fans, find somebody to guard Andrew Wiggins. And the problem is they don't have one. 
because you have to have Jalen Brown guarding Clay Thompson or he will get loose. You have mm-hmm. to have a combination of everybody guarding Steph Curry or he will right. get loose. And you have to guard him the way you guarded him in game five. You got to win that game. You got to be better yes. that night. Yes. And yes. And so since they don't, since everybody has to guard Steph Curry, which is Marcus Smart and all these other guys, yeah. Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, uh, Derek White, who, and then everyone else has to have him in their peripheral. That's what made, that's what has made, yeah. from an X and O standpoint, Andrew Wiggins so vital in this series because you can't really box him out because you're watching Steph Curry create off penetration. And so the scramble from the kick arounds that he's giving guys like Clay Thompson, that he's giving guys like Jordan Poole. Those those kickout shots. Andrew Wiggins is like, okay, this is open. I'm sliding in here. I'm gonna get 17 rebounds. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. th- that's what's made that's what's made this series so puzzling. The wild card that you never thought you would see is Andrew Wiggins. And now you're going into a game six where historically Clay Thompson has some otherworldly games. Yeah, look. Wiggins right now, not only, you know, did he have that game, like we said, and, you know, 17 rebounds, all this stuff. But, you know, another thing that that he kind of uh, founded, I think, in this game five, and this could be dangerous for Boston, too, is he decided, you know, with Steph getting locked up like he was all game long, and they hadn't had to deal with that in the series, even as much as Boston was trying to defense then. He, he was getting free, and he was moving about. And, Wiggins found out I can go downhill. I can go north. Yes. I can put this thing on the floor and I could even if even if I catch it 40 feet out, I can start just taking this thing hard to the deck downhill and just throw one down on these guys mm-hmm. now. And if you saw him, he only went to the line three times. If you saw him, he was attacking the basket, going right hand runners, you know, taking it as deep as he could in, into that side. He hit a couple of uh, going right. He hit one going left. Then he took that one downhill and absolutely tomahawked it. And if that, you know, if that if he plays that kind of game as they're trying to lock Steph up, and as you said, Clay slides over here, Steph does get free because you can only lock him up for so long. And boy, that's going to be a tough check. So Udoka's got to come out with something big. Looney's been great when they've thrown him out there when Horford and Williams have been on the floor. I mean, he's just at least just trying to plug some some holes. He's done a great job. He's given them great minutes. Uh, so Warriors, man, right now they figured it out and they figured it out quick in this series. I think Boston's only other card to play is to go small. And if they go small, I don't think they have a chance. I think their, their, their largest advantage has been the big lineup of Horford who can make threes and Williams when he is on the court is a plus. He's not even a net neutral. He is a plus. And so to find a way to keep him on the court, which has been hard because he's injured. That lineup, right. that's been what's best for them. The hard part is when you remove Williams, they don't play Tice anymore. They, put, they bring in Grant Williams. They bring in Derek White. Right. And that's been, pretty much, that's been pretty much their rotation. And the Warriors have figured that punch out because they're a primarily small team. So now they can mm-hmm. bring in Bielita, who somehow can stay in front of uh, Jason Tatum. I think it's the Euro slow where he just doesn't have the speed. That the normal uh that Jason Tatum's used to trying to get around. So he's like, oh, this guy's hard to figure out. He's too slow. So you've got <laughs> him, you've got Jordan Poole, who hasn't lit it up, but he was effective in game five. 
You had Andre. He's been effective. He's been good enough, man. He's been good I'll enough. Tell you, he hasn't crawled under a rock, and that's what they needed from him. They need. They didn't need this young guy to go crawl under a rock and not be somebody that didn't need to be guarded or could play. Yeah, man. He's been big in in not being big. You know. Right. And so even and they've got they got Looney coming off the bench now. They've got Gary Payton the second coming off the bench. Oh, he's played well in the and last. So you games. so you got guys coming off the bench. For the Warriors, being successful, not in a scoring way that we thought they would be, but in just a competitive, defensive, hard-nosed way. And I think that's what that was the Celtics selling card and a calling card. And now the Warriors are like, hey, well, we we do this too, you know. And so it I, I right. think they've gotten to a point where they've, they've settled in on each other and we'll go, we're going to get the best game we're going to get tomorrow night. We're going to give you more coming back because I have a question. Of how much is something phony really worth if you don't know it's real? Brown and Lawhead, Miter 1090. Second half. Welcome back to the Browner and Lawhead Show, Mightier 1090 ESPN. Like I said, in the first half of the show, you can find everything from the show past and present on the Mightier 1090 ESPN. Or you can find us on iTunes or YouTube under the Kaplan and Crew, the thing right behind me. Look that up. That's where you'll find us, Brown and Lawhead. We spent the first half of the podcast talking about how dumb Tyreek Hill is and how unbelievably excited both of us are for Game 6 to see what we can get to shake out. Um, I, I asked a question. I asked a question before we went to break. Because there's now rumors, Jason, about... Uh, for the sake of the conversation, I will refer to him as he is referred to, not as I refer to him. And Sheho Otani mm-hmm. may not be happy with the Angels. Oh. Okay. People. Uh, Siri. Siri is the. That was your Siri. That's hilarious. So, she heard you just say Yeah, she's it. in on it. She wants to be a part of the show. She's, yeah, exactly. So. They're listening to you, Brown. Listening, people always turn off your blue, turn off your uh, 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 Bluetooth if you don't have to have it on any website. Turn it off your televisions, by the way. Turn it off your iPads if you don't need it for certain apps because they are always listening. That's the social commentary. That's the first social commentary. The second one will come later. It doesn't look like Otani's happy with the direction of the Angels. So this leads everyone to the question now of do the Angels pay to keep them and we'll get into what it will cost to keep them and is it logically smart to pay a guy what it's going to take to keep him in Anaheim? Jason, for a person who is being called the greatest baseball player ever, by the way, by in by MLB people in MLB circles, MLB.com called him the best player in baseball. Mike Trout was the second, but somehow they're a terrible team. So what mm. is a guy like that worth? A guy who who is being called mm. the best power pitcher in baseball, but and also one of the best power hitters in baseball. What is that worth on the open market? I, I, I think it's worth a lot when you value when you put value on the rest of your ball club. I think it's worth a ton. I think he's worth so much with the ability to go in there and throw like he throws and, and and hit like he hits and to be able to fit those two positions on a playoff roster. 
at the at the at the level he can do it at. I mean, the guy hits triples. He led the league in triples last year. Um, and you know, uh, depending on you know how you can agree on his, you know difference in how we're going to pitch him depending on how you have built your ball club and and you can you know communicate that with him and 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 that could be great whether you're going to be like a hey you're going to start every you know 10 days but we're going to use you in some longer relief or some or some shutdown inning stuff in between that at so many pitches and I don't know I'm just saying but I think he's valuable. I think he's really valuable, and uh, you know, and it kind of offends me that you you call him Ophony. What and, number? No, I'm I'm, as a, as I'm a person, as a person who just sat here and told me Francisco how Lindor numbers. Was, I'll I'll say I would much? pay him. I would pay him more than I would I would pay him number. as equal or more than I would pay his Francisco Lindor to be on my my team and try to win me a World Series. How much? Whatever that is. Lindor, three thirty-one million, thirty-one point five, thirty-four point five, something into that area. Fifty million. That's going to be the number. Fifty million a year. I mean, and like I said, you know, compared to what other people have paid for certain players and what their limitations are and what they're really good at, or what you know, I mean, you could sit there and go, you know, hey, Bryce Harper is a great ball player. He's a, he's a great, you know, but. Oftentimes that batting average, that on base percentage doesn't equal, is that equal? I mean, but sure, he'll drive in some runs, but I mean, I don't know. <laughs> when I look at what he can do and what he can provide you in a short term October, yet let alone a long term, you know, fan favorite, all that stuff that's going to come along with people turning the styles, uh, die, die, especially if you get him in the kind of market that would, you know, you imagine Otani as a St. Louis Cardinal with the way they support baseball and the way they invest they in cheap, their though. their, their not team. Gonna, they're not going to. I'm just saying. Could money. you could you imagine? Yeah, you know, what I'm saying is, what kind of atmosphere would be around that? Um, well, they don't have a lot of Japanese. The Japanese community in St. Louis isn't that thriving. It's a baseball community, is what I'm yes, saying. Is what, and, and so what I'm saying that. is, is they know how to market uh, Mike Matheny in that town. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'm telling you. They were able to like say, "Hey, Albert Pujols, thanks, but no thanks. We'll win a World Series without you." And build up a guy like you know Ricky Ankeel. I don't know whoever they've got over there. But what I'm just saying is, in the right situation, you're asking me what I think he's worth, and I think he's worth right up there on the upper echelon of the market. I mean, I really do. From what I've seen, compared to some of these contracts. Um, and, and what I've seen and how I've seen October's play out for teams in the last, you know, 10 years, since a lot of analytical baseball has come along. Yeah. I, I pay him a lot of money. So I, me, the individual, the creator mm -hmm. of the O'Phony club. Mm -hmm. Shame on you for that. I cannot in good conscience give someone that level of money because you're you're going to pay him to be one of the best hitters in baseball according to mlb.com and the best pitcher the best pitcher now makes around 33 kershaw's making 27 i think maybe 28 million a year along as the best hitter 
that gets you in uh, in Bryce Harper territory. That gets you in Manny Machado well, territory. Well, Trout Trout's the highest played player in baseball, right? Which is, is and that, so that, that's at what? 30, 40, 47? No, I think that's at 400 and some million over, or was it was uh, 400 and some million over 10 years, wasn't it? So over 40 million a year. So I'll look it up. So if you melt that into one player, you're looking at 50 to $55 million a year. So for me, for me, I can't do it. I can't do it. He's great. He's phenomenal. But if you don't win, if you don't win, the Yankees are a unbelievable franchise only because they've won. The 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 Tampa Bay Rays wow. have had some of the best players come through their farm system. The Kansas City Royals have had some of the best players come through their farm system. They can't pay them. They don't win. So what's it worst? If I'm the Angels, if I'm Artie Moreno, and I'll basically just write money because I'm dumb and I don't know how to do anything else. If I'm him, I'm not winning. And if I don't win, people will people might show up one day to see Otani. But we got five other games this week. They're yeah. not showing up to see him bat. They're showing up to see him pitch. So what am I, because he doesn't play in the field often, so what am I giving him all this money for? To lose? So if I'm the Angels, I've taken a run at this. It didn't, it didn't appear to be fruitful for me. I'm going to put him up on the auction bid for to the highest bidder. And whatever I get, sure. I'm, I'm going with that. Because he's got arbitration coming up at the end of this offseason. And he's already said he doesn't want to do contract extension talk. So if you're asking me, you're going to be playing for somebody else because I can replenish my farm system. I can become a more well-rounded baseball team. And if I, even at some point, Artie Moreno will run out of money. Everybody runs out of money except the Yankees and the Dodgers. The Angels ain't that. They just one rich guy. Yeah, but they got that huge. They got that lucrative TV deal, which uh, with Fox, the Angels, they tied up a lucrative. That was how they were able to throw all that money at the time when they had Pujols and Josh Hamilton and those ridiculous contracts. Um, he, I mean, he don't forget they the still big, they still have ridiculous the big TV, the Orange Ant County West Fox Sports West contract, a ton of money too at third base, right? And they're tied in you know, the Ducks. That whole whole thing, they got a contract anyway. My point is, is so he'll he'd have the money. But if you look at it, I mean, at this situation now, if you're going to go, I mean, I agree at this point, you know, set the guy free in a sense that it's like, look, I mean, we've had him paired here with Trout now and we end up firing Joe Madden. I mean, exactly. How bad is this? So like, OK. And I just looked it up. Trout's the second highest paid play player annually, even though he has the largest existing contract. Max Scherzer's three year deal makes Max the highest annual paid player. But Trout signed a full a 12 year deal. So I was off by two years. He signed a 12 year, four hundred twenty six million dollar deal. He's at thirty seven and change a year. So Garrett Cole's at thirty six. But. Yeah, I mean, at that point, you might as well go, hey, let's get what we can get for him. If we're going to be firing in Joe Madden and they're going to be losing, you know, 19 out of 20 or whatever it is with these two guys that I would have to end up paying close to trout money to to keep. Um, 
yeah, I mean, I would try to get what I could for him if I'm Artie Moreno and at least start from scratch in the sense that let's go find another guy that possibly, you know, is a different style pitcher or somebody that can bring something uh, to the roster that's that can even things out for us at probably less money, but still maybe a, a price tag. And let's see where Otani's market value and what, what teams would go get him for would be that would be interesting i'd like to see otani in the postseason i I really would i'd like to see trout in the postseason he's a great player um but trout's locked into you know the angels for 12 years and however they're doing business right now doesn't look like there's they're uh anywhere near the 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 astros or even you know the way the mariners and other teams are operating right now so um I'd like to see Otani. I wouldn't even care. I'm at the point where, you know, I'm old enough to not even care about the, my new team's nickname. So I, <laughs> I, I could actually, I could actually uh, pallet Otani in uh, New York just to see him out there, but I'd like to see him somewhere kind of like a, a Cardinals or, uh, you know, dare I say Cubs, even if they get their stuff kind of, but they, they're a mess right now. They're almost, they're actually worse than the angels are in this at this point. I think I think for I think for for him, Otani was speaking. If winning is his main feature right now, I think he's only really got three consistent choices: Los Angeles because they're they mm-hmm. they always find a way to compete financially, Houston because cheating or not, they found a way to be competitive mm-hmm. and enter division with him. Sure. Period. And the Yankees, because we know they have an endless amount of money, and they also will find ways to keep the team competitive. Now, a lot of people may be asking, well, what about the Padres? The Padres almost had him. He wanted to go and view to a team at DH. Now they have a DH. I, the amount of money that it is going to cost them to get him, the level of success that that would then have to translate into, I don't think it is possible to justify that. Because then you would be looking at having Machado, Tatis, and this guy. That's that pay those three. By by the way, soon Tatis and Machado. I tell you, that would be fun though. I don't care. I tell you what, I I go break the bank if you can get him, and even if you could get him on a, you know. Here's what I would. That would be breaking the, the bank. That would be blowing I, the bank up with a. With well, a here's what I would do if I was. Here's what I would do is if I was the Padres. I go look what we got right here, right now. Now, instead of having to feel like you got to commit to this forever because you don't know which way it's gonna go, we'll sign you to a, a nice two year deal that uh, pays you ridiculous amounts of money that puts you back out onto that market in two years and or during it, if you're liking like liking this and we're winning a World Series or two right when you arrive, then we can talk about long-term extensions. But, um, you know, we know who we are. We know who you are. So let's get into a little two-year, you know, break the bank investment and try to win something because we're the Padres. We've never won one. And uh, we've got a team assembled right now. We've got this guy pay. We'll pay this guy over here. We'll make sure this guy Musgrove's paid. And, you know, you got you Darvish. And, boy, how fun would that team be with a you Darvish and a Shotei Otani and Manny Machado and, and Tatis going into the postseason to lock up with anybody. I don't care who they are. Dodgers, Giants, Astros in the World Series, Yankees in the World Series. 
how that would be amazing in the next year or two or whatever it would be if if all things went that way i mean that would be awesome i mean we talk about some just great you know guys on a baseball team in 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 a city that's starving for it and in a beautiful ballpark man that would be cool i mean I mean, if we're having that conversation, you got to look at the current success that the Padres have, are having. The trajectory of their organization is up to, mm-hmm. again, first place team right now, battling a team with an endless payroll, doing it with pitching, doing it mm-hmm. with camaraderie. Mm-hmm. The city is currently already on fire about this team. Mm-hmm. And in a beautiful ballpark, in a beautiful city. I mean, obviously, we're biased to certain aspects of the Padres here, but I think that this this current Padre team, to get free agents, you have to appear to the outside world to be fun to play with. This team is now putting out the energy of, I want to play with that team. The swag chain. Yeah. Yes. The swag chain started the cowboy hat, the jacket, the uh, uh, the helmet. Like, this, what they're doing here, the fun that this team is having, it is resonating around the league. And because of that, I think that the San Diego Padres will become one of the more attractive destinations in baseball Absolutely. if the money's right. Now, nobody's going to pay Absolutely. $20 million less to come here. But it's, if it's between... Two or three million, yeah, you're gonna think about it because one, you get a chance to literally have fun playing the kids' game in a beautiful place with guys you actually get along with that are also actually winning. So I, I, I love the position that the Padres are in, whether it be currently in first place or going forward, because they, this club has so much to offer to any prospective free agent. I think that they are in the game going forward. And I'll just say this to close on, on that. I, and I just say, if Darvish and Musgrove can finish these seasons the way they've started them, it, it, it's something special is going to be happening on mm-hmm. the way into October because they're going to hit. I mean, Tatis is going to come back. Machado is going to do what he's going to do. And if those top two arms, and you're, that's that is going to be a that's going to make for some real special stuff going on in October if those guys are finishing the way they're playing now and have started because look out <laughs> and you talk about with that look out and you're gonna then that's gonna be a, that kind of maybe that seed that plants what you just said uh, making things way more attractive. oh look over there now everybody's looking over at a place like san diego to be like well, you know maybe i can get you know they looking for a first looking for a first baseman next <laughs> <laughs> so Look, I said I would save this commentary for the end of the show, and we've got three minutes, so I'm going to give you a minute and a half, and I'm going to give Jason a chance to speak on it as well. Look, I don't, uh, I don't discourage anybody from doing anything. I attempt to encourage people from doing for for to do most things. If you're not watching the hearings for the insurrection, the January sixth committee, if you're not watching the hearings, I would advise you to do so. Not because it's political, because it something happened to this country where our democracy almost was uprooted. And whether you believe in that or whether you think that was the real thing or not, or whether you think it doesn't work because it failed, so therefore it doesn't count. 
I would challenge you to understand something about what we have in this country. We and, and what we will lose if we do not pay attention to it. We have to keep things in order for us to remain great. And if you turn a blind eye or ear to the testimony that is happening within this committee, and bipartisan, by the way, the eyewitnesses are Republican people from within the previous administration. So these are not hearsays from Democrats or never Trumpers or whatever the case may be. These are people who worked within the Trump administration telling you what happened. If you do not pay attention to what things are around you, they will change and you will have no say as to how they change. Wake up and pay attention whether you want to or not. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, um, you know, I'm not watching them so per se as much as I'm kind of reading things. I've, I watched it. That was <laughs> Right, you know, so I, did I. I, yeah. I watched January 6th and I know all the, you know, jargons and what, people have said and the the either the denials or the lies and the truths that come after and all the false claims and the the big you know all I saw that I already was up to speed on so at least it's uh you know something functioning the way its process is happening and that that's important um Besides that, I just think really we've just, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I could go on for a lot of different opinions, but a lot of my, my I'm saddened for the country that I've lived in my whole life. I'm going to be 50, but like I'm at that age where I'm just kind of like, you know, I kind of look at it like, you know, a good friend of yours. You just, you, you love it, but you just like, you know, it's like a buddy of yours. He finds out he, he's got lung cancer, but he keeps on smoking. And you're like, well, I, yeah, I don't even care if you make it, you know, as far, you know, you know, sometimes I just have that we're, cynical we're comedian's out of here. view. We're, All we're, right. We're, we're smoking out of here. Brown and Lawhead. See y'all next Peace. week. Peace.